Hello guys and welcome to another installment of Galley Stories, Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. I'm your host Mark Kaler and today a little step off the, the norm. Uh, in the past we've always had uh, captains of boats, engineers of boats and not too much of the shoreside based. Uh, today we've got Ryan Lenhart. He's a set netter on the Ugashic River and Ryan how are you today? I'm great Mark, thank you. Great. Um, glad to be here. It's uh, quite an honor to step into this realm with you and all the previous captains you've uh, interviewed. It's really there's really been good. There's been some good ones, uh, but we've never had a perspective like you're going to bring today. Uh, never seen the beach side of it and things that go on. Uh, you're still on a boat. You're still running out there. It's actually probably considerably can be more dangerous on, on such a small vessel, but we'll get into that. Let's start with uh, where you were born and what brought you to the industry. Yeah, so... Uh, I grew up in northern Minnesota, uh, farm boy. We had, uh, well, we still do. We still operate a, a farm back there. My dad does at least. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, I left when I was 18 years old to Alaska. I uh, came up to actually go to college to be a marine biologist of all things. And I uh, found out real quick that college wasn't for me. So I decided to try my uh, hand at commercial fishing and luckily a friend of ours uh, from back home Minnesota there uh, Ole Van Orsdale he uh, he actually kind of showed me the ropes he uh, he heard I was in Alaska and he'd hunted behind the farm for years so he was pretty interested in having me come out and be a crewman so I went up uh, at the age of 18 with him and uh, yeah we uh, fished the Quijack right up off of uh, graveyard set netter one permit one very small skiff and uh Ole uh, had two 35 horse johnsons on the back of that thing and uh, he was a master at running both those tillers at the same time i could never quite wrap my head around how he did that quite honestly um but uh yeah he taught me a lot i fished for him for one year um it was uh it was probably one of the biggest years i think i've even had to date we did uh, 136,000 on one permit. And it was just me, him, and uh, actually the the uh, DNR guy from uh, where I grew up, hometown Minnesota. There, he was the other crew member. So a lot of Minnesota guys out there. So the first experience was a set net then. Yeah, first and only yeah. experience. So it's all been set net. It's all been set net. Yeah. How long did you work for him? One year. And then what? Then I bought my own operation. So at 19... The I, one you have now? Yep, the same one I have now, yep. Yeah, at 19, uh, I decided uh, after that summer... Well, well, let's backtrack. I fished for Ole, pretty rough conditions. He was a uh, graveyard set netter off the cut bank up there. And uh, so he had, uh, he had what was the foreman's shack. And uh, so he had three cots in there on the floor. Noli was really frugal. So he brought five gallons of uh, kerosene with him for the summer. And he had uh, one single burner propane stove. And that was about it. And we ate a lot of pancakes and a lot of rice. And we didn't eat much salmon. He, uh, he preferred to sell those. <laughs> so uh, it, was, uh, it was pretty frugal, frugal eats. And uh, I remember probably the most thing, that, the biggest thing that st sticks out in my mind is the is the cot that I got 
I don't know if it was because I was the low man on the totem pole being the youngest one there or what, but I got the cot beside the broken out window without a mattress on it. And uh, so in my infinite wisdom, being young and dumb, I thought, well, wool blanket would be sufficient enough for Bristol Bay. I've been surviving off of that, you know, in Anchorage and Fairbanks. And you're so from Minnesota. I'm from mm-hmm. Minnesota. I can handle anything. Yeah. So if you ever sleep on a military-type cot pre-canvas, like just springs and wires with a wool blanket for any period of time, you... Uh, know that it isn't very supportive so i was out searching the beach for flat pieces of wood and what have you that I could stick in my bed and i got really good at sleeping with uh, one board under my hip and one under my shoulder and one at my feet and waking up in the middle of the night and adjusting it and yeah just just give it a little wiggle and go back to sleep and try and figure out how to keep the mosquitoes out of my so bed. this was 25 years ago then yeah it's getting there so that'd be Math's not working right now. Well, I... 19... 19. Yeah, 19. I'm 43. So, So, yeah. I'm trying to pick the year out. Oh. That would have been 94? 94. 95? 94? Yeah. I graduated from high school in 94, so... So, uh, going back, when you showed up, you got one housing unit that you're all sleeping in? Now, he's sleeping in there, too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. That was part of Oli's deal. He'd, uh, He'd start the oil furnace up. And he'd set his alarm for five minutes, and then he'd go shut it off. So five gallons of kerosene was for the whole like summer. forty-five days. All of it. Yeah. Of summer, yeah, yeah. Summer in Alaska can still be chilly, especially at night. Very chilly, especially with a broken window right beside your bed. <laughs> well, you're the only guy that had that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was quite an experience for a young kid. Yeah, it was. It was. I uh, I came what? out of there with uh, a lot of really dirty clothes and. Uh, I actually threw them away at the Red Salmon Cannery and got on got on a plane and flew home. And I was thinking, man, that was the worst, best thing I ever did in my life. Well, some <laughs> bit you because you bought a permit the next year. Correct. How did that work out? How did that come about, I should say? Well, so Ole was, at that time, 55, give or take. And so he was talking about getting out. And so Greg Spaulding, the other gentleman that was on the crew, and myself were kind of pitched this deal. Hey, you guys could throw in on this if you're interested. We're going to do a sealed bid and and uh, see what it goes for. And, you know, if you guys want it, the option's there. I'm, I'm tapping out. That was only, you know. And so I went back to Minnesota, and I sat down with the local banker who I, you know, went to school with and what have you. And uh, I talked him into setting aside a loan for me. Yeah, because back then, you know, I wasn't, uh, I don't think I had enough time in Alaska at that point to pull from the commercial fisheries loans. Mm -hmm. It was something that had crossed my mind, but I hadn't really pursued it, and it really only covered the permits, so I really didn't have any other options. So I went back to the bank in Minnesota, and they were willing to work with me, and so they set aside uh, 188000 for me. At the bank, and that was my bid. That was a single permit. The, the entire amount. Yep, that was that was what I had to work with. And so uh, I threw my threw my bid in the hat at 180, thinking I needed some start startup capital, what have you. And uh, so things progressed. Oli contacted me. He's like, 
well, you're in there, but I'm going to let the other guys rebid. And I was like, well, what not, are you doing not, to me? Not Ole? quite a silent bid there. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what do you, what do you mean? You're going to let the other guys rebid? He says, trust me, just I'm going to let the other guys rebid, and you just think about it. Okay. So in the process of thinking about it, I hadn't put all my eggs in the one basket. I'd been kind of researching other areas in the bay, and uh, one spot that kept poking up was Ugashik. And looking at the catch records of the guys, you know, across the board, Egik, uh, Quijak, Nushigak, you name it. Um, Ugashik kind of, it wasn't big catches, but they're always catches. They weren't really fluctuating a lot. They were always kind of landing. In the median. Yeah, they were just even. It wasn't anything spiking. It wasn't dropping. It wasn't like you'd have a big heyday year and a small year. And uh, that was one thing I noticed with all these catch records were, and they were, he had his big year with me that summer. Great time to sell. But history had shown that it, big spike, big drop. And uh, so, in retrospect, I'm pretty sure Ole was protecting me because that permit and that camp and that changed hands multiple times in the course of the time that I owned my place in Ugashik. So, so you you were kind of pushed out or left not bidding more at Ole's spot. You found the spot in Ugashik. How did you bid on that? How did that process work for you? Well, like I said, I didn't put all my eggs in one basket. I I was looking around. There was you know, guys that had stuff up for sale, um, and uh, Mike Phillips was one of those guys. He was who I ended up buying out. Um, let's see, who else was there? Was Mick Rena sites? He was up on the Cut Bank in Ugashik, but his uh, his catch records were hard to work with because they were a lot bigger than they should have been, and I couldn't quite wrap my head around why they were that way and. And, uh, you know, for what he was offering, at least, they were just abnormally So big. he'd bid at 180 at the other location. Yeah. What, what did this one cost you? Do you mind? Yeah, no, I got it for 183 Okay. So it left me five grand for startup costs. Did, your, uh, did you have a, a house on the, on the premises or a building, at least? Did it have windows and was well, there a mattress? <laughs> yeah, so uh, ironically enough, I bought this whole thing sight unseen. I... Uh, it was actually two permits, one skiff, um, handful of outboards, and basically all the gear you could ever want. A net shed, a cabin, a Quonset hut. Um, you know, there's kind of a cooking cabin. There's an outdoor cabin. It was uh, it was pretty plush, you know. And back then, it was just all faxes, so you're getting a black and white picture of what you're uh, buying, right? Yeah, all I'm hearing right now, <laughs> I, I love this, but all I'm hearing right now is, Mark, come hunt with me. i got some great property up here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's gotten a lot better, let me tell you. Um, yeah, so Mike Phillips, he took my offer, ran with it. And uh, so the deal with him was, is uh, since I'd never seen it, he sent me what he could via fax, you know, and uh, it was just pictures via fax back then. And so I said, okay, well, I'll meet you out there at, uh, in Ugashik on the beach. I'll fly in with my uh, bush plane buddy, uh, Tim Smith. He flew us out the first year with a little Cessna 182, me and a couple of buddies from my high school. Um, 
so we landed on the beach and it was uh, June 12th and Mike Phillips was supposed to already have been there and opened up the cabin and lo and behold nobody was there and all I had was you know a general location of where I thought I should be and what the cabins should look like little did I know there's multiple cabins that look just like my cabins <laughs> but uh, the only telltale sign was mine were they looked or appeared to be white in the pictures in the black and white pictures and everything else around me was kind of a darker blue so no Mike Phillips on the beach no cabins opened up uh, my plane took off and uh, left us three standing on the beach scratching our heads and you're like 19 at this point 20 19 yeah who's the three though uh, and Jared Pink and Matt Morris. Those are your buddies. Yep, those are my football Come on, guys. Buddies. I'm going to show you how we're going to do this. Yep. Let's go to Alaska. Let's go to Alaska. And break into a cabin that we're yep. not sure is mine. Exactly. That's exactly what we did. And then we, you know, we didn't bring any food with us. We brought, you know, bare minimums. This is Cessna 182. Matt Morris was probably 230. I was 230. Jared was a light one at 200. <laughs> so, and then with the pilot... You're already overloaded. He's like, no bags. Yeah, there's no bags. <laughs> <clears throat> so we had, we had, uh, I think, some neoprene waders, and I told them to bring some warmer clothes, thank goodness. But, yeah, um, so we went up to what I assumed was the right cabin, and Mike had done us at least the favor of saying uh, the key for the cabin was underneath the porch at the net shed. And so I figured, well, the little A-frame that was beside the other main cabin that must be the net shed and there was a loose porch you know board there and I picked that up and lo and behold there's a hammer in there and that was the key to get into the cabins a hammer a hammer yeah yeah so uh we peeled what we could off the door with the hammer and we got in and three days later Mike showed up with three cases of beer and two handles of Jim Beam and that's all he brought <laughs> there was no food. Was there, there was no food. Well, was there's it? food left over from the year before. Okay, so, so there was there was some food in there. <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, frozen green beans and brown beans and canned bacon, and I really don't know how we survived that summer. I did have. Oh, I just heard beans and bacon. Yeah, That's we had good. beans and bacon, but I mean, we we're limited supplies. We were on rations from day one. That and we didn't know where the fresh water supply was. So when we first got there, the lakes behind the cabins, I was told, were non-potable don't drink that water and uh so the closest fresh water that we knew about at that point in time was eight miles north of the cabins so i think we were working on rainwater when he showed up okay um yeah but he didn't bring any water with him either but at least he brought enough information so that we could pull the wheelers out of the cabins you know, and go get water. Start figuring some stuff out, yeah. Yeah. So at 20, brand new adventure, two of your best buddies with you. Yeah. Um, and you own the spot. Yeah. I mean, you own the spot. Yeah, well, I have to make a payment on it to a tune of 36000 a year. It's coming. Yep, oh, yeah, it's coming. So how do we get started? Um, so, um, you know, Mike decided he was going to show us the ropes, and uh, so he, uh, he helped us get the skiff in the water, get a motor on it. Back then, we were winching everything out, so we set a, a deadhead and a winch and five-horsepower five Honda, you know, with a winch on it, and yarded that 24-foot skiff. It was an old ATEC, and uh, it had rolled across the Thunder a few times because it was pretty beat up, 
Um, <laughs> so I kind of got the what what a what was the leftovers of a partnership, right? Um, in the deal, although it was a good deal, still. Um, so he showed me how to set my screw anchors. Now, mind you, I was cut bank born, right? So our nets never went dry. Never had to even think about nets going dry. We always had water for the fish. Not so much on this beach. So we go out, tide's coming in. It's blowing probably about 35 out of the southwest. And I'm like, we're really going to go out and set a net in that, huh? And he's like, yeah, this, this is what we do. Okay, here we go. And so we all piled into the skiff and we got down to the sights and he clipped the, clipped the net onto the screw anchor rope that was all tied now, in. explain that. Remember, nobody knows no, this. No, no set netters <laughs> have been on here before. Okay. And uh, yeah. I'm sure that a lot of our listeners know, but <laughs> we, got, we got people in the UK, Ireland... Sure. Uh, uh, Australia, they, they, we're not, we don't have set nets everywhere. So explain it to us, please. All right. So um, basically, we put a screw anchor in the ground. It's about a six foot bar with a pan on the bottom, and you spin it into the ground, and you tie a rope onto that, and you throw a bag on it, and that bag floats up with the water. And you can, at the end of that rope, you have a loop, um, you know, whether it's tied in or braided in, depending on how much time you had to set up that summer. And uh, so anyhow, that bag's floating. You can bring your skiff up to it, and you grab it with the gaff. And you... the way we fish there is everything's clipped off. We don't do anything with knots, so we're not trying to tie a knot in the in the fray. We're just a quick clip and go. And, you know, we're talking fairly sizable waves for that 24-foot skiff trying to set that. But I was glad it was Mike driving because I didn't feel so bad when he towed it. You know, he, he ended up with the motor in the net all wound up so we're reaching out of the skiff to cut the net free from the boat and it was a big mess but anyhow that was my first set in Ugashik and we finally got it straightened out and I learned a few so the, things. So the one side is attached to the beach? Yep one side is attached to the beach. Your, your, skiff, your skiff drags the net out? No the net is stacked in the boat so, so we set out of the boat. So you're pushing it out of the back of the boat? We're pulling it so we're driving with the boat right and it's setting out the net chute in the back of the back corner of the right. skiff. So it's laying it out. Yeah, it's laying it out, and then you got a guy up in front with an anchor and another bag and another buoy, and then so when you get to the end, you drop it, and drop now, it. essentially you've got the anchor on the beach, yep. and then one dropped to however long your net is out. Yeah, so the net's uh, um, fifty fathoms. So we fish fifth, fifty fathom net in that area. That's uh, 300, 300 feet. Yeah, 300 yep. feet. So 300 feet of net plus bags plus buoys plus hangers. And how, so each permit, you get one net, or how does that work? Um, well, you can pick and choose depending on your location. Uh, you can fish 225s on one permit, or you can fish 150. And so uh, given my location there, it was more advantageous to fish 50s and 25s. And you have which, two permits, though. Correct. So can you run two nets out then? Yep. Okay. Yep, yeah. Yeah, Matt Morris actually had the other permit at that time. It was still owned by the family, but uh, he was the one that was operating it for me. Okay. Um, so, yeah. so 20 years old. Only, how, how, all right, let's talk about the results of that first year. How'd you do? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we did really good. <laughs> You're like, yeah, fish. <laughs> yeah. No, we washed a lot of fish that summer because there again, nets went dry and 
we didn't understand the process, and uh, so we got bit quite a few times. Nets um, went dry. Tide went out. Yeah, tide tide went out. Nets go dry. You it's all fish sandy land on beach. the beach. Yeah. yeah, sandy beach, and you got to wash every one of them fish because uh, the processors don't like sandy fish. You know, it's hard on their gear, and it's yeah. So we well, spent. You, you got to make it look like they just came out of the water. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, we spent. Oh, that's not warm fish. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> well, look, it's mar- clean. The markets were a lot <laughs> different back then. I don't think they were too worried about whether it was, uh, you know, chilled or not back then. It's come a long ways, hasn't it? Oh yeah, 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 for sure. We've done a lot of upgrades in in our own fleet, and you know, in my own self, I built a boat custom just so that I could uh, take on the ice and what have you. Yeah. So. Uh, so um, you thought you did good. What was your first year? Come on, you know it. <laughs> Forty-eight thousand. That's what we did. That's not bad. No, it I wasn't mean, bad. It wasn't bad. I've had for, worse years. For a twenty-year-old kid, right, owning <laughs> yeah. his own property, yeah, two of his best friends. I mean, there was memories made there. You can't even pay for. Yeah, they never have talked to me since then. <laughs> Is that the guy you were texting when you came in? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Actually, seriously, neither of them have ever talked to me since then. They didn't have a good experience. Uh, I think it was just a little bit overwhelming for him. You it's know, funny I, you say that because my second year in Alaska, I invited some friends with me, and uh, I don't think I've talked to them. No, there was two of them, <laughs> and I don't, I don't believe I've talked to them since then. <laughs> it was like all the whole build up of "Come on, let's go! It's a wild, it's adventure!" And then home, they they had a good amount of money, but I never heard from them again. Yeah, that was they did. They didn't want to go back, I reckon. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, it was it was quite an interesting thing, and especially with Matt because he was the other permit holder at the time, and so, yeah, basically you're giving him a forty thousand dollar check and asking him not to cash it. Yeah. So, but you made those payments. Yeah, well, we barely made those payments. And then how fishing is? Yeah. Fe- feast or famine? Feast or famine? Yeah. Well, at twenty. To own your own site, and it comes with cabins, and I mean, it had to feel cool. Oh it yeah, it was cool. it was an awesome feeling. I just absolutely loved it. And then reality struck in. You know, I was like, oh man, all I that work me. and no money left. But yeah, but yeah. hey, I own a cabin, and I have the, yeah. yeah. It was twelve years before I took a dime home. Is that right? Twelve years of fishing before I even. But you've always been that guy to work on the off season too, though, right? You keep oh, yourself I, busy I and had to. Yeah. grind. Yeah. Well, you yeah. were grinding today on your way over here. You were, you came directly from work. Right. Yeah. That's that's uh, that's the way that always is for me. Sure. Sure. Um, so now, twenty three years into it, uh, there has to be some scary experiences. Uh, oh man. Yeah. So let's <laughs> let's let's dive into those, or um, a couple of those. Or, poof, yeah. Or, let's let's go with the first one. First one. Uh, well, the first one was probably landing on that beach not knowing what was mine. That was pretty scary. And then watching the plane fly away and not knowing, you know, what to expect. And even if the guy's going to show up, right? Everything depends on that. I already spent my grub steak, and I'm like, you know, i got to make $36,000 plus a grub steak and get this all put back together. That was pretty scary for me. As far as life-threatening scary goes, that summer, it was pretty nice. We didn't get beat up too horrible bad um about i would say is two years later um we had had a 
little bit of a rough season. Uh, not a whole lot of reds, so I, I called home and I told my dad, I said, I could use a hand up here because i got to send the crew out of here. And they're not going to be happy with what they're bringing home. Uh, but I could use a hand and think I'm going to go fish silvers down in Cinder River. I've heard there's a place 20 miles down the way. And uh, I'm going to go get all the gear set up down there. Find us a place to lay our head. And and uh, I could use a hand. If you can fly up, you know, I can put you to work. And so my dad was like, yeah, I'll come up and give you a hand. And so that was uh, <laughs> my first trip to Cinder River was probably one of the scariest things I ever encountered, probably even to date. Um, I, uh, I took off. I got a single kicker, Yamaha, 60 Enduro, 24-foot skiff, loaded with six shackles of gear, a three-wheeler, 50 gallons of gas and 20 gallons of water and your dad and myself all by myself oh. so my dad hadn't made it at, up there at yet. 22 now at this point yeah 22 and uh so i'm by myself i loaded all that into to the skiff took off anchors buoys you know the thing was stuffed there wasn't any room in the skiff took off i get down to what i think cinder river mind you we have no gps i'm going off of hearsay i don't even have a map all I've saying, all I've heard is you go past Cape Meshnikov, you look for a sandbar where the breakers are at, that's Cinder River. Cool. So you'd have to have a permit down there, or how did that work? Well, the permit's transferable anywhere. It doesn't matter where your permit goes. It's the sites, and there wasn't anybody that had established sites down there. Oh, so you just free for all. It was just free for all. Yep. Yeah. So, and there wasn't anybody down there anyhow. So, yeah, I, uh, I uh, pulled into Cinder River, and I missed the tide because, you know, I wasn't uh, wasn't even thinking that way yet, you know, was, that I had to go down with the tide coming in. I went down on the high tide from my end, and by the time I got there, it had gone away. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, not, timing was bad, so I slammed my lower unit into a gravel bar uh, on the way in because I basically surfed it through the mouth, into the mouth of the river there in Cinder River. And I putted around, you know, in Cinder River and uh, picked a spot and unloaded everything. And and uh, so everything was working great, I thought, you know, until I decided it was time for me to turn around after the skiff was empty and head back for the cabins, the mainland cabins, uh, 20 miles north. And, uh, Hello. You know, yeah, alone. Go find my dad, because he was supposed to be flying in at that point. And uh, so at least I knew he was going to be okay, because Tim was just going to land him on the beach right in front of the cabins. And Yeah, but did he know which cabin, go. where the key was? No, the... yeah, he didn't know any of that, but Tim <laughs> Tim knew at that point in time, because he'd already come out and picked up my crew, and so yeah, I'd Yeah, the key's around. under the door, Dad. Yeah, there's yeah. a hammer. Yeah, there's a hammer. Actually, it was still open at that yeah. point. And then I'd lock it up then, man. But, um, so, anyhow, I... Uh, I pulled out of Cinder River and I gave her some gas and the thing just went. <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay. I, I I didn't understand what was wrong. Um, what had happened was that I broke part of the lower unit and it was cavitating because it was blowing exhaust past my prop, right? Instead of going out the center, it was going around the outside. <coughs> so I, uh, 
I was like, well, I, I got to go back to Ugashik. There's nobody down here. Absolutely nobody in Cinder River. Nobody. So I go out offshore. I'm probably a mile offshore, and I can make headway at an idol. But I can't, can't, give, it can't give it any gas. Yeah. So I'm putting along, putting along, and a two-stroke does not run efficiently on an idol. And uh, so I'm kicking my cans because... I'm going through gas like no tomorrow and I'm down to like basically three cups of gas and I'm outside of Cape Meshnikov and I'm out in the seas probably a mile offshore again it was a nice sunny day 24 foot boat yeah 24 foot boat mile offshore and I would say that the ground swell out there was no less than 10 12 foot so you just go up 10 feet and come back down 10 feet and up 10 feet and down 10 feet. And so I'm idling along out in the green water. <clears throat> and uh, I'm like, I ain't going to make it. There is no way I'm going to make it back into Ugashik. PFD? No, nothing. <laughs> Not I had 95. An, I had, a, I had an no oar. PFD. <laughs> yeah, I had an oar. <laughs> no, no life vest. No. no, I didn't even keep no a radio. No. no radio. No nothing. I had nothing. I didn't even have a compass. I had nothing. It was me, an outboard, and an empty can of, ca- can of, ca- can of gas. Well, your outboard wasn't doing too good either. Yeah, outboard wasn't doing too good. Yeah. So uh, I uh, I bobbed around out there for a while, contemplating what I was going to do, and I figured I'm going to I'm going to point it towards shore. Just at least if I can get to shore, there's nothing on that side, but at least I'm on land, right? I'm not going to end up over in Russia. So, <clears throat> so I pointed the nose towards shore, and I'm bobbing through the swell out there, and I see a single drift boat, and he's coming up from probably Port Hyden, and uh, it was the Carol B. And uh, <laughs> you're kicking and waving. Oh yeah, I had, I had, uh, I think I had a brailler bag. Use the, the last boat. cup of this gas <laughs> to start a fire. Flipping <laughs> like, it, and yeah, <clears throat> it was uh, trying to wave him down. He came over. He came over. And I really anticipated that he'd be like, I'm here to save you and, and uh, you know, I'll tow you into Ugashik. And, and so the conversation started. It was, uh, he's like, uh, what are you doing out here? <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm just coming back from Cinder River and I whacked my lower unit. And so anyhow, it's cavitating bad and I don't got enough gas to get back into Ugashik. And he's like, oh, well, that's not so bad. I got... 10 gallons of gas here for you. And so he gave me mixed gas, and then he took off. <laughs> that was a Carol B? That was a Carol B, yeah. Well, he had to go fishing. Yeah, he was yeah. He, he was set. He was going. He was. He had something planned. Well, the maritime law is you got to stop and help. Yeah. But how far does that go? How far does that go, you, right? You need gas? Oh, I got that. Don't <laughs> yeah. don't explain anything more. Just I'll give you the gas. Yeah. I'm out. See you later. Yeah. He chugged out of there, and I'm like... <laughs> Well, I got 10 gallons of gas. I'm good now. Oh, well, I thought I was going to be good. Well, so anyhow, <laughs> I fill that, fill my uh, my gas cans up with those two jerry cans, throw them up in the bin there, and off I go. And, you know, not at any full head of steam or anything, but I was putting along. And the tide was again going out on me. This time I'd actually thought about it a little bit. So I'd made plans, but I didn't know that I was not going to go that fast. So the tide was going out on me again, and uh, in Ugashik there, there's a handful of bars on the south side, and there's bars on the north side, 
but I had to cross the bar. I didn't have a choice, right? I couldn't go deep water because it was too far out because I was running out of gas again. And uh, <laughs> so the bar was really swelly with the ground swell that was out there. In fact, it was, had rollers on it. And I thought, man, I think I can make it across there if I just go for it. And I went for it, and I almost sank doing it. So I had green water that came over the front of the boat, green water that came over the back of the boat. And uh, I basically filled the whole boat full of water, and it pushed me across the sandbar. And luckily the breakers were behind me at that point. Otherwise I would have just sunk right there. Hmm. And uh, so I spent a good portion of time bailing my boat out with uh, my one... What, what time of year was this? Late, late in the season then, right? Because you, yeah, you had done the season? Have, this would have been uh, probably August. So cold. First. It's, it's not yeah. really warm at this point. No, not overly warm. Water temperature is pretty chilly. Yeah. Well, luckily we were still fishing in neoprene waders back then. Because mm-hmm. I was, I'm sure I was breaking a sweat bailing the boat out with my one gallon Delo can. With 20, year, <laughs> 20 years old, no radio, no life vest, yeah. no contact. Nothing. Except for the guy that gave you gas and said, see you later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how long of a time was this from when you left the river to try to get back home? We're talking three, four hours? Of oh, just solo? Probably more than that. It was, uh, I you're, left. Because you're, you're going slow. You're, 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 yeah. I was going really slow and probably bucking the tide, you know, eventually. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was a real slow go. I don't, I don't know for sure because I left right at daylight, I suppose, out of Cinder River. And by the time I got into Ugashik and got the boat bailed out and actually got across the rest of the channel to where my cabins were at, I literally had a tablespoon of gas left. That's all I had left of that 10 gallons. Um, but it was late afternoon by that point in time. Going through your head the whole time is, did I just really fuck up? I'm well, when I was sitting out there on the other side of the bar watching the breakers right off the heels of my boat, I was thinking, I really screwed up. And uh, so that was that was as close as I've ever come to sinking out there. So let's let's find out. Uh, so when you got your dad, was there any fish in the nets when you got back? Was well, you... I didn't set any nets down oh, there. Oh, you just put them down? No, no, no. Yeah, I knew better than that. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> no, I picked up my dad. Uh, he came in on a, like a Friday, and I think we opened up on Monday morning or something. So uh, we spent some time there at the cabin, you know, together, just kind of hanging out. And... and uh, so then uh, we put enough gas in the boat, and I changed out the lower unit, and we got going again. Got a PFD and a yeah. radio? No, I didn't, <laughs> no. I didn't have PFD yet. <laughs> there wasn't any of them around. Um, I never didn't have a radio. Did your dad have any experience fishing before? No. In fact, farm for, Yeah. Even for me growing up, we had canoes. So I'd driven an outboard maybe once well, in my life. When I was a kid, we had horses. I mean, we, I was on a farm, too, right, yeah. in uh, yeah. uh dairy farm. At least most of the, my working age as a youth was a, on a dairy farm. Yeah. And always on a horseback and not, nothing, you know, boats back boats back then were, were skis involved and, sure. you know, some bikinis or something. Yeah, yeah, my uncle had a jet boat, but uh, we didn't have anything, anything that special on the farm there. So dad, no experience, took him out there. Yeah, no, took him out, and <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty brutal experience on him. Um, I never really knew I could yell at my dad, but evidently I can. And uh, <laughs> well, when you're driving the boat, no matter how big it is, you're the captain, right? 
You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he had, he, he was prone to put himself in bad positions, I guess. He, uh, by the time we got back down to Cinder River, which this just turned into a big fiasco yet once again, we actually caught some fish. But um, the tender didn't show up right away. He came in late. Um, so we had been down there for three days before we had any potable water. So we were living on green bean juice, and it's amazing how stupid you get when, when you don't have yeah, any water. Yeah, you, you don't realize it. Yeah. Well, we're we're pushing time already. Holy cow! But um, <laughs> let's talk about just quickly. Obviously, twenty three years in the in the business now. Twenty five, if my math's better than yours. Um, you're still doing it, so you must love it. You you got the bug. So uh, what has fishing given to you that you didn't have? at the farm boy that's a that's a loaded question yeah and we, and we only have four minutes to four answer minutes, it. four minutes four so. minutes oh man um no it gave me freedom i've always worked for myself better than i've worked for other people but i you know yeah it's uh it's freedom for me i really enjoy getting out there i absolutely love now you know getting in the plane from King Salmon, once we leave King Salmon, everything's just bright and happy for me. Um, I love getting to the cabins. I love being out there. I love the the risk that's involved, but knowing what I've got to do and knowing how to do it safely now in comparison to the first, like, five years. How many cabins are there? Uh, well, the cabins that we started with all washed away. And so now I've, I've, uh, I've actually built uh, two cabins there up on... Uh, my own private little lake. So. And they rent for how much? Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> We're going to have someone write in and go, this sounds amazing. How can I get in there? What, what's it going to take? So, guys, contact me, and I'll, I'll set the price. Ryan's just going to go for it. Yep. Uh, so would you change anything about what you've done in the past? I mean. I would have went to two boats a lot sooner had I known that it was going to be much more profitable. We went from, you know, basically Forty to sixty thousand pounds a year with one boat, to you know, pushing the eighty-five, ninety thousand pounds um, with the two boats. Two boats takes more crew, though, right? I mean, it does. It takes more crew, but ultimately, that's it pushes you over the point of break even. In in your world now, is is the turnover? I mean, are they still buddies to come fish with you, or you you've got to hire new people every year? Or? I have had pretty much the same crew for the last nine years. But not those first two guys. Not those first two They do two not guys. even talk to you. Yeah, no, they don't even talk to me. Yeah. They so, don't even talk about me. That's the bad part. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're about out of time, Ryan. But um, before we go, is there anything else you want to share or any advice you got for young guys still trying to get into this business? And you, and you got a unique perspective because you were 20 <laughs> buying your first site. And you've seen the drift side of it as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, would, what, what do you suggest these young guys or women think yeah. about? I'd say if you got a, a yearning to get out and beat yourself up and work your brains out and not get any sleep, then fishing's the place for you because uh, that's what you do when you're up there for that month. you got to make AWOL sunshines, and that's what it's about. So, you know, go for it. Go, go hire on with a set netter and see what he has to go through. For a summer. And How would they find a job doing that? I mean, it's just. Man, all my guys are word of mouth. Everybody I've ever hired, 
I've not even had to hire, quite honestly. Because there's, you know, there's a lot of boat jobs, but there's way more set net jobs. I mean, there's yeah. every river's got a hundred set netters on it or, or so, yeah. and they all have a crew of what three to five to eight. Sure. I mean, there's jobs out there, but how would they find it? Uh, well, there's a handful of guys that post on Craigslist for their crew. I've never done that. Um, and, you know, internet, internet. Oh, yeah. You internet. can find Just Google it. Yeah, yeah. Google it. <laughs> All right, guys, before we go, as with, and Ryan, thanks for coming. But before we go, every episode we encourage people to eat wild Alaska seafood. Um, please do not eat the farm shit. Um, at least that's where I'm coming from. Definitely. Um, wild Alaska seafood. And if not wild Alaska seafood, at least make it wild seafood. Yes, sir. Just don't, don't do the farm stuff. Uh, so with that, guys, if Ryan, if you don't have anything else to add, uh, thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been uh, quite the experience. <laughs> you, you guys, uh, feel free to write in to uh, galleystories at gmail.com or mark at galleystories. Um, like us on Facebook, follow us, and tweet about us. And we'll see you next time.